here we are, the mother of all industrial accidents. It's Major Please a heinous trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. And I also want nothing to do with the transporter. I'm your co-host, Peter. We have maybe not a lot of volume to talk about, but we have a lot of theories to unpack, some some grudges to finally settle. We have an episode of Star Trek in front of us that I think embodies so many of our jokes over the last four years that I'm very excited to get into it. But before we do that, I want to do a bit. I want to see if we can actually get through one of these cards. The bit. All right. Yeah, this is it. I mean, this is this is a tiny Tiny little bit, but this is what oh, we have. Yeah. If you were not opening up packs of cards or. Um... It's not a mukbang. I mean, you really <laughs> want us like eating my hamburgers on here? <laughs> all right. We're going back to the old bit locker. Here we go. Star Trek, all about trivia. Play along at home. Uh, I think we've done a good job at shaming anybody who does know the answers to these things to keeping it to themselves to save face. If you want to hurt yourself. No one is brings it up anymore. This <laughs> bit has reached radio silence because everyone's like, oh, jo- Joseph and Peter, you're just going to make fun of me if I know the answer. <laughs> He's going to call me a nerd. If you're not okay getting called a nerd, you got no place listening yeah, to I was us. Say, you are too deep in the show to be to be scared. Mm-hmm. You should know by now that fighting back is how you gain our respect. All right. So here we go, Joe. Let's see if you can get through a card. This is a blue for whatever arbitrary difficulty that assigns. The blank is to Kirk as the whale is to Ahab. This is from the episode Obsession. Uh, is it, oh God, the dictator of that planet that like he saw the genocide. Uh, There's a dick in there, but it's not a dictator. Okay. What is it? The decorium cloud creature. Oh, never mind. I was thinking of like this, a different thing he was obsessed with. Just like save like the bill. Save, you know, he's just obsessed with something new each week. There's a very Zach Morris quality to him. Yeah, it's kind of the same thing you accuse Tom Paris of, of like each yes. time there's the thing, that defining cornerstone uh, of my personality that exists I know for this all about episode. Aquatic <laughs> navigation now. I love. Oh my god! Submarines. Did someone say Fort Knox? I love Fort Knox. <laughs> tell you about all the robberies that ever happened there. <laughs> oh look, a truck! I know exactly what kind of make and model it is. You're talking about robberies. There's a pretty good. Uh, quick scene in one of the season three lower decks. Uh, it shacks the security guy and the cat doctor who apparently they're fuck buddies. <laughs> yeah, they set that up in season one. <laughs> they're in a holodeck scene where they're Bonnie and Clyde and they've shot up all the cops and then they're going to have sex and make the hostages watch. And I'm like, And I'm like, that is exactly the holodeck's intended purpose. I mean, the that when they did the joke of Shax's return, yeah, that was also solid. It gets brought up in this. There's like emotional crying, um, but yeah, just the amount of deviant self exploration that the holodeck could really represent. All right, Joe, what crew person on the Enterprise is infatuated? With Mr. Spock. This is the easy one. Okay, Nurse Chapel. There you go. What is 
Tal Shea, and this is Journey to Babel. Well, the Journey to Babel, is it the planet that the colonists want to go to? No, the uh, Tal Shea is an ancient Vulcan technique in applying pressure to the victim's neck until it snaps, considered to be a merciful form of execution. What the fuck? <laughs> what? God. I, now that's some original series stuff that needs to come back up in Strange New World. <laughs> Spock, use your special neck snapping technique. That's uh that's when when <laughs> give him the judo, give him the Vulcan judo chop. That's when keeping it Vulcan real goes wrong when you neck pinch so hard you kill somebody. All right. I'm done. I'm done. I don't want any more of this bit. All right. Just goes to show I haven't watched episode of TOS in like <laughs> 10 years. In a long time. It's not easy being wrong. And there's going to be some wrong people coming up season two, episode 10. Vanishing Point. Joe, this came out November 27th. Not too far away from uh, here we are, November 4th, 2002. 20 years ago, Joe. 20 years. 20 years. This is a Berman and Braga joint directed by David Stryton. Well, we did hear, by the way, from one of our our, our listeners that in in some panels or DVD extras, forget the context, but Berman and Braga did talk about how they were super burnt out at the stage of writing. Wow. Yeah. You so, think? Uh, the fact that we've been picking up on that, uh, not a, entirely a shock. So this is a low point for them creatively, and it's it's been low. It's been real low. This show's been very difficult to watch and engage with. I would be interested in hearing if it was actually <clears throat> UPN contractually forcing them to produce this thing. And again, well, they yeah, were they all probably... over season one, and I feel that the heavy involvement they had in season one was to guarantee quality control and prevent things that had happened in Voyager from rehappening. In Enterprise, and I think for the most part, season one they were successful in that, which is why season two, season turd, season, I'm sorry, season poo, has been <laughs> as disappointing as it has. Yeah, I they they used up the last of their energy in season one to get the ship off to the right start, and then you come back to reload, and you're like, I'm done. I'm out of shit to say. I'm out of shit to do, and you cobble these scripts together and maybe you've got underlings now, right. That are maybe they're not credited on this that are, are helping you out and getting, getting things put together. And it just, it's not hitting right. It doesn't have that same, has that same power anymore. You just don't have the team you used to have and it's showing in what you're putting on the screen. Let me use my podcaster special ability. So go ahead and tap me. And uh, and use a green mana here. I'm going to talk out of my ass. Okay, yeah, that's a green ability. I like that. It's good. It's good flavor. Good synergy. <laughs> you know, maybe I think white is more talking out of ass. No, I for some reason blue. I think it's blue. You know, you're right. It's blue. It's blue. The most Romulan of colors. Uh, maybe if you've got that written by credit, you are getting real financial compensation on the back end, and both of them are like. We don't want to be here. We have to be here. If we have to be here, let's make as much money as we can. 
No, I mean, you might be right. Or they're just like, it's time. It's This is coming to an end, and we need to get ours as soon as... Yeah, but well, I mean, again, you thought they had like seven seasons minimum season two, like exactly what you're saying. Like, where is the fucking writer's room? At? If you're out of steam, take a vacation. You don't need to do every goddamn episode. Let someone else step up and realize that this isn't sustainable. And this is the way you guys came up was starting as a writer and you've produced some really good talent. Maybe they were afraid of another like Ronald Moore situation. This is still before BSG, right? This is just as BSG is going to come out, I believe. Hold on. Battlestar Galactica's miniseries, I think it was in 2003. December 8th, 2003. So, yeah. Battlestar Galactica comes out while Enterprise is still on the air. Probably just barely, but they cross over. I mean, maybe the rift between them and Moore, Ronald Moore, was so bad that they were like, we've empowered people who have stabbed us in the back and are now doing things that make us jealous and we need to maintain control and not create any more uh, competition. I don't know. And also Rick Berman barely wrote episodes of star Trek for the first three shows. I don't think he did five episodes of TNG, three of DS nine and eight of Voyager. He does 37 of enterprise. It's gotta be money. Yeah. Like, he doesn't even seem like necessarily the guy you want in the writer's room 37 times as it is like his Voyager episodes were caretaker, hope and fear. He did timeless granted. Okay. So I maintain, I I think we're right that he could smell winners and got his name on there. And then Equinox, Equinox part two fury. Maybe not. So in that case, Mm. an end game DS nine emissary. So he did the, pilot and they did Maquis part one and two and TNG. They're the, are the one where he has nothing but hits brothers ends in row, both unification episodes in matter of time. So, okay. I, I'll grant he's definitely got like a high quality level and maybe you're right. It's that he, he smelt winners and, and collaborated with the right people or in the right moments. But it it's mystifying to me that you would trot at this point, this many years in when you're already feeling burnout, that you have somebody who's not actually your most prolific writer. He's a producer writing 37 of your scripts. Well, they go in some interesting directions with this one. I will grant that this has all kinds of fantastic ideas in it. This is, this is the biggest example of good idea, bad execution. I think, this is the pinnacle of that trope. Absolute top. There is only one series of episode. I'm sorry, of, of Star Trek that really could have done this concept justice. And the last time we really went anywhere near. No, I don't like transporters was Barkley in TNG. And it was an interesting personality quirk for him, but the the technology of the 24th century was just so magical that it was impossible to have Barkley maintain the sphere in any light other than silly insanity or, or just foolishness, right? It was Barkley had to clearly be wrong. Like that until they were able to come up with this one in a kajillion 
situation where his fear was actually found and that's where like the space hand puppet worms floating around and it grabs him and it's people stuck in the pattern buffer right mm-hmm. and then that's a fun episode of like no you're being irrational there's nothing in there yes i'm right and hey look at that we good guy save the day by the end and it works and it it was a good way to introduce an interesting concept Uh, And that is maybe people are actually afraid of this stuff. And I guess Bones, to a certain extent, Bones logged a lot of shuttlecraft time, right? Yeah, he did not like the transporter. He was the first character to not trust having his atoms scrambled. But it was just kind of a, I'm a doctor and I don't trust the machine. I'm crotchety. I'm salty. Yeah, I'm old. I'm crotchety. I'm the old salt on the ship. Versus Barkley, which is like, I am a top tier Starfleet engineer serving on a flagship. I am smart as fuck. And I have this irrational fear uh, of that. And and. It's interesting being an adult, a 40 year old and looking at stuff in Star Trek and contrasting it to when I was 12, 13, 14 watching Star Trek and the things now to me that seem like the real science fiction, which is like United Earth and everybody abandoning former forms of government. (laughs) (laughs) This utopian society that Earth was able to somehow carve for it through itself through the uh fraudulent world war three that never happened yeah fake news fake news <laughs> uh but then you start looking at the technology and like transporter would always just seem like really fucking cool and i'm like no <laughs> absolutely this, not i if yeah. if there was a transporter they're like hey listen you want to go through this thing i'd be like i don't know if it's just the amount of sci-fi and video games that i've consumed at this point but now I'm cool with uh, business class, man. I'll see you in six hours. <laughs> the we have made tremendous sport of the concept of the transporter being a soul sucking device as a proxy for shorthand for people in the know about the sentiment, right? Because this isn't a new revolutionary sentiment. This is something that Trek fans have been debating for as long as Star Trek has existed, right? We all heard this in our times with all of our friends that we talked about the the show with when we were young. Believe it or not, I mean, I never really had these conversations until our Voyager podcast. Really? Mm-hmm. I I would maybe it's just really in the gutter nerds like me. I had this conversation when I was in high school with my track f- uh, friends, like, what happens when you get transported? Are you the same person? Or are you a different person? You know. Right. And that's a that's a fair uh, question to ask as a reasonable person. And again, what was it? Prestige? Was that the one with Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale, I think? Yes, it was. And the, the and one with the, the, the weird clone thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's what we're talking about here. Right. And so we, we've had the shorthand of the. The soul destroying machine. And this is almost that right of something has happened to Hochi that has disembodied her spirit <laughs> and she is fighting to regain her form. That is the, the where the, the episode positions itself. And then almost as a horrifying twist at the end says, no, this terrible experience you just had where your very being was dissipating into the cosmos was just two seconds of your overactive subconscious as your molecules were rebuilt from scratch. Like 
<laughs> this is a lot. This is this is maybe I you shouldn't have. Maybe man is not meant to use this kind of device. Think about that. That last part of that statement. What if every time? What, what if? One in 20 times you use a transporter, you may be subjected to uh, a three-day nightmare, 72 hours of horror that really only lasts a couple seconds. Like, it's the opposite of, like, cryosleep for long-distance space travel where the world moves super fast. Or, I'm sorry, the world moves slow around you, and you, but you come out in a different area versus... Yeah, you might get stuck in like cyber hell. Uh, it's <laughs> like, not real. And you know, maybe even you get to know it's not real, but it's going to be a miserable fucking dream. And it doesn't happen all the time. But I mean, at this point on a five year mission, yeah, everybody on the ships had it happen at least once to him. And that's just suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> it's a good thing. Like, oh, she only had mild work anxiety. What if she was really like depressed or something like <laughs> she could have a really bad time. You just have this vision of, you know, a routine away team beam up and somebody's turn for one in 20 and they come in and like everyone steps off the pad and he just goes, oh, like he just has a total meltdown. He starts crying like, I saw my grandfather again. Her eyes were of black flame. Oh, yeah. The, some event horizon shit. It's it's so bad that like some people and it's not like. Starfleet issue, but some uh, officers just keep a little strip of leather belt in their pocket, and or like a fucking uh, like a, a mouth shot of morphine. Like Frank's had, he, Frank's had the hell dream. Everybody, got no, no, just you know, they, they they all pop in their gummies, so they're when they rematerialize, clenching their teeth, they don't crack a filling or something. <laughs> oh, so, like so I'm that, saying, yeah, this, this is the only franchise that is able to realistically tell the story. You've had the Barkley story no. before. He had to be unreasonable and it had to be almost comedic. But here we are at the dawn of transporter use in Starfleet and what will become the Federation. As best I can tell, uh, among the friendly races that are dealing with Earth, the Noblians or whatever, it seems to me like Earth is the only people who have this technology. We've seen the Klingons use it. And we saw the uh, AI dead stop truck stop use it. And past that, I don't know if we've really seen anybody else with transporters. I mean, I presume the Vulcans have it. Do they? I think so. If they didn't develop it in-house, then they would have had to have acquired the technology from the humans prior to Enterprise launching. It would be yeah, unreasonable. Yeah. I don't think there's. Yeah, I think you're right. So I would say I would not be surprised if Vulcan already had it. And and that's really what's missing here is any sort of uh, usable dialogue from T'Pol one way or the other through this episode. There's no discussion really about the the overall adaptation of the use of the transporter, merely that it's new to humans overall. So here's here's what I would propose just off the top. What would I have done different in this? I would have taken the saboteur subplot in this. And and I would have discarded it. And I'd say if there's any episode of Star Trek that could have been a no action. Low stakes. Budget saving. Bottle. 
sorry, not bottle, uh, the TV tropes bottle, not our bottle. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just a, a, all we're using is a ship. This is a super budget friendly would be, uh, Hoshi's problems. Hoshi feeling like she's off and just a long episode of people discussing their thoughts on the transporter and maybe even like the other surrounding, you know, warp five and, and what's happening in Starfleet as the space program is rapidly evolving. I think this would have been a really good slice of life. What are people thinking character development episode that specifically addresses? Are we real people after we transport? I don't even mind them doing a full episode on this because there's so much storytelling potential that they've not unlocked with the, the overall apprehension of some a technology as radical as a, you know, a molecular transporter used on a human. And they they mention in the episode that Reed's used it twice and the captain's used it once. And you can kind of lean into them still really kind of processing or if they are like maybe Archer's like, no, it's fine or or whatever. They could have done the whole thing about the episode really playing into their continuity, focusing on this as a story concept and then have some element of the plot be about Hoshi having some kind of experience with it, whether it's something much like this, exactly like this, similar to this, vastly different. I don't know. But this ends up just kind of running out of steam in too many spots. Like it can't deliver on its amazing idea because too much of it ends up with just Hoshi making a very sad face in the background or in the middle distance, observing, you know, people being sad about her. And it's like, I, I don't yeah. know how much I care about this because the flaw for me in this episode is they turn it into what was the Jordi LaForge, Roe Laren, Romulan state of flux, state, state of flux. They, they turn it into that uh, and it's too much retread and it comes off poopy. But if it was just a, a let's sit around and talk about our feelings on the transporter yeah. souls. Are we even humans going forward or is Starfleet and earth going to transform itself effectively into a different species moving forward through this technology? And you, anybody out there could say like, well, that, that might get kind of boring. I don't know if that could be a whole episode. You go back to carbon Creek, a night in sick bay. Some of the other episodes from season one, like, if anything deserves a low stakes, no action, quote unquote, boring episode, it would be a thought piece like this. Yeah. And they've done much worse. It would be interesting to the people who are here for that. You know, it's instead right now you're making boring episodes. No one wants to watch. If you want to make a boring episode, (laughs) half your audience wants to watch. That's better. Yeah. Part of this is the problem here is also Hoshi herself in that. I think it's really only in the second episode that's really focused on her. There was Sluggo. There was there was the Sluggo episode, and there was this one. As far as her as a main character, what what's there was a Sleeping Dog. She was pretty heavily involved. It wasn't a but focus was co- episode. Yeah, she was she was co lead with T'Pol and Reed really on that one. She th- th- it's this one in the Sluggo episode where mm. she's been the focus and. I like Hoshi in small doses. I actually like Hoshi a lot in as a 
side character. She's it's like Black Widow in the MCU. She was great as a as a supporting player in other people's things because as a spy, you want her to remain mysterious. You don't want to tell too much about her background. That's why her movie sucked, by the way. When they go too far into doing content on Hoshi, you start to get to uninteresting moping around or her dad or stuff that no longer is is you get too much and you don't want any of it like i like hoshi when we're speculating about the absolutely 100 canon correct relationship that she had with jonathan archer or her general casual attitude about her job or her very like i'm a normal person in space attitude and then you do this and it's like uh too much here Not- here, here's the interesting thing that you just said here, and it ties directly into the the title on this episode. Hoshi feels like she was created for to, to fill a reason. And the further you go into Hoshi, uh, the less fleshed out you see it is, and there's nothing interesting. And it's like... You're playing um, an open world game and the game fucks up and it lags and you move to a point, a vanishing point where like it's just missed. Yeah, out. it you has got- not been able to render further out. And it's like it's there's nothing trying to kill you. You don't just die, but you get out past the the edge of what you could see before. And you're like, there's nothing here. Yeah, oh, she only exists in this small <laughs> area around these other characters and. It, because she's just too normal. I got parents. I don't have a tragic back. It's she's the complete antithesis of like a discovery character. World. Or a, yeah, yeah of, 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 a, of a she's the antithesis of a strange new worlds character. It's, yeah, that's exact. It's actually correct. She's a she has a short draw distance. That's a short draw distance. What I'm looking for. Uh, yeah, like I I probably used to sleep with Jonathan Archer. Uh, I'm a teacher. I uh, freak out when I'm on alien vessels, and I'm trying my best. And also, I have a omega level mutant power where i can just fucking talk alien language after four words and that's it oh and also you know i i, I know how to make a, a mean bowl of ramen soup she is too normal you you made her if there's nothing compelling going on in her backstory then we don't need an episode that explores people's feelings about her or her backstory it's kind of mean to say you made this character too normal, and so it just becomes very boring and, and unengaging to watch an episode about her. But that's really what the problem is. It's not that she's too, she's too normal while also being nice. Yeah, if she was bitchy uh, or she had some sort of a personality quirk, then you could at least cling to that. But it's just it's oatmeal. It's it's not bad, but it's not great. But okay, cool. It's it's breakfast. So we're gonna open up in this scene and our old friend, the caves. It's true. We haven't seen the caves of hell in some time. Uh, the caves this time have been dressed up like legends of the hidden temple. Gotta love when Olmec's there to provide a little <laughs> texture to the world they're on. It's her and trip uh, exploring some very styrofoamy ruins that were <laughs> clearly put in by props 20 minutes before. Uh, and while they're in their cable access level set, uh, there's there's unfortunately not one but two uber thunder radiation 
thunderstorms that apparently no one <laughs> saw coming. And uh, rather than being able to take the shuttlecraft back up, they're going to have to do the dreaded beam out. Yeah. First of all, you skipped right over trips much smaller than the EMH's digital camera, which was funny to see. But they're like ooing and eyeing over this these runes. And they're in stone runes that have clearly been there for like centuries and centuries and centuries and they look just fine and we get like this Jurassic Park like hmm the storm's not veering off course this is going to be a problem you guys better get to the shuttle but yeah but then to Paul's like captain it's worse than we thought there's not one storm there's two storms and the second secret surprise storm is pushing the first storm even faster they'll never get there in time and they're like oh golly willikers Gosh, golly, Willikers, we're, we're going to have to use the transporter. And Hoshi's like, no, listen, we're over here down here. Like the storm's basically like a nuclear bunker. This is like vault tech. I, I think we're going to be fine. No, Hoshi, there's lightning in the storms. The lightning's going to get you. She's like, well, I, I don't really want to do this. No, Hoshi, you have to do it. You must beam up. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, are they really going to use this as the vehicle to force a fucking like, this is my biggest issue with this entire goddamn episode. The whole episode hinges on the fact that Hoshi, who does not want to be transported, has to be transported. And this is going to be the fucking storytelling vehicle that they ramrod yeah. the transporter, which I don't think has been mentioned a single fucking time all of season two into this. Topal almost feels like a pushy DM who's really mad that his adventuring party has already figured out the plot. And so he's like, my second plot has blackjack and hookers, and it's totally going to stop all over everything you just did. I th- This was so dumb to me. I actually sat down and did the homework instead of like flipping around and ASMRing everybody. My notebook pages here. <laughs> Here's my list I did while fucking around at work today in the background. Season two, right? The number of times that the transporter could have saved the day, but nobody remembered they have this goddamn thing. Uh, minefield when they could have just beamed Reed off of the fucking mine that he was impaled by. Yep. The seventh, they could have beamed the entire crew up after they caught Senator Kelly before he set the truck stop on fire. Yep. Communicator, they could have just beamed Reed and Archer out of fucking uh, Warhammer jail. Yep. You jump back into season one and there's like a million in Dorian incident. They could have beamed everybody out of there breaking the ice when the guy fucking twisted his leg and they couldn't. Oh, no, I'm sorry. The shuttle fell through the ice. Fortunate son. They could have grabbed Archer out of the cargo hold. Uh, Shadows of Pajem. They could have saved Archer and Paul while they were being held a captive. Acquisitions uh, beam the Frangie into the brig. Detained. You could have saved Archer and Mainweather while they were down in the uh, the determined camp. Vox Sola. You could have beamed the crew out of the cum. Or beam the come out into space. And then Desert Crossing, you could have gotten Archer and Trip off Desert Services. They've ignored the transporter to a fault because the transporter ruins plots. And right. now the one time they need to use the transporter because it's a central focus of the plot. This is what they come up with to, to have the reason that someone had to get their fucking arm twisted behind their back. They're good at making ridiculous situations people get caught in that they should be willing to move hell and high water to get them out. And, and this is what the fucking thunderstorm 
they have used, a- they used cum monsters. They they used mutinies. <laughs> they used people trying to kill them in deserts and on on ice planets. They used all of those, and then finally they're going to make use of transporter. It's guys take shelter. There could there could be uh, some storms here. Here I got the plot pen right now, Bran. Listen, okay, they're running out to the shuttle because the shuttle is the right play there, and then Hoshi. Uh, is having a seven of nine moment and her fucking high heel trips over a tree root and she falls down a hole or into a gully or something (laughs) and they're not going to be able to get her out in time and her ankles twisted or a fucking branch fell on her cap i'm not going to have enough time to get her out and both of us get to the shuttle all right trip get to the shuttle we're going to beam hoshi out because it's the only way that's all that's it. You could have you could have kept your shitty set with your Legends of the Hidden Temple arches. You could have done that as your setup. Just have them run through a piece of set with some rocks and some trees in yeah. it. And have, have, have a piece of styrofoam with hieroglyphics fall off and just block her in the cave. Yeah, that's it. Like and be like, hey, I have a I have a lock on her. We can get her out. But no, here comes a thunderstorm and they're both wicked witches of the West and they can't melt. So they got to beam up and then there's a quick back and forth where Hoshi's like, uh, trip, you go first. And he's like, OK, I'll, I'll call you when I get up there. Everything's going to be fine. Trip gives zero fuck. I, I get trip being the strong like, oh, you know, I'm going to keep on a bold face. I'm the commanding officer. I'm not going to show any hesitation. Like you said, later in the episode, they're going to talk like oh, it's not a big deal. You know, the captain's done it and Reed's done it. Uh, we conveniently left out uh, Ensign Stone in my face, did it, and he did not come out so shiny. Like, that's a real bad <laughs> continuity point. Yeah, or, the guy from Strange New World, the we're episode. talking about Cyrus Ramsey in this thing. Like, what about, what the hell was his name? Ensign, Ensign Vaga, en- Vaga something? Ensign got a branch in the brain. Yeah. <laughs> like. Leave him that, alone. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, it's re- Reed and Marcher went through it fine. Third guy did not. He he's not okay. He's not. And that he even that up. was a good he reason sweeps. to fucking transport him up. He's going crazy. He will die if he does not get medical attention. We don't want to use a transporter, but if we don't use a transport, he will for sure die. All the more reason why this is something. So, uh, he beams up. Everything's fine. All right, Hoshi, come on up. She beams up, seemingly okay. Pats herself down, make sure she's got ten fingers, ten toes. The rest the rest of the episode is constructed, as we will later find out, and as we've already mentioned, as Hoshi's subconscious dream sequence is really the way to describe this. None of these events occur. This is all in her head, essentially. And this is happening as a her subconscious is being bound back together in the the beaming process because the beaming process isn't narrow enough such that it comes together fast enough that her nerve, like her neural activity has to occupy itself. And they decide it decides to do this. That's, that's really what the plot is. And we are subject to Hoshi's inner, uh, Hoshi's bad day at work. Hoshi's uh, anxieties about being ignored or disrespected by her friends and colleagues and not um, not missed necessarily or 
not being vital is a better way to put it because you see her reflection of how she wishes Archer would respond to her being gone and, and Tucker. And it's, it's a lot of like mournful miss you type of stuff, which is, you know, what she would like at the same time, you know, she's, she's becoming transparent. People can't see her. They keep trying to, to give her, tell her to go to sleep, go away, go back to your quarters. We don't need you. There's, there's a lot of projecting of a certain psychological um, disposition that this episode then attempts to apply. It doesn't work in that capacity because as soon as things start going wrong, I think it, it's just blatantly obvious that this is all bullshit. Yeah. They don't do a good job of hiding that this is a Fugazi. The, cool part of the episode is the mess hall where everybody's sitting around and she comes in and starts really voicing her concerns with what's going on. Uh, there's the discussion of Cyrus Ramsey, who is a figment of her imagination. Uh, but that was the first real casualty of uh, long distance transporter accidents, which kind of sad. That's a, that's a bullshit uh, theoretical in this because you know someone had to fucking die along the way doing these things. You've got the Star Trek was it motion picture right? There's the transporter accident. Yeah, right at the beginning it kills the the would have been science officer. So you know if you're having fucking deaths on Kirk's Enterprise, uh, shit back here, it's it, it's not unreasonable to think that there's more than a few oopses on whoever created this thing's hands. Uh, but that's that's interesting. You know, welcome to the club. I liked that concept of the transporter club. Right. And again, Reed Archer, they don't really mention also that Reed has been transported by two separate types of transporters, a Starfleet transporter and then murder station one, a death stop truck stop. Uh, again, no mention. What's his name? Can you pull that up on? Can we give credit to Ensign Leaf face where credits due? <laughs> I'll try to find instant leave face while you continue her conversations with uh, flocks. Cause she instantly knows that something's wrong. I don't feel right. And flocks kind of, yeah, I'll take a scan here. I'll take a scan there. Her concrete evidence that like, no, this did not put me back together the right way. Like I had a fucking birthmark and it was a centimeter higher than it is now. Like how much would that fuck with you? Yeah, if you really noticed, and you're like, that's not right. By the way, Ensign Leaf Face is Ensign Nova 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 Check. Nova Check. Yes, Nova Nova Check. Sounds like a Cleveland football player. (laughs) (laughs) It does. In approximately in the in the year 1987. (laughs) Like that is when Nova Check played for the Browns. You know, under Kozer. Yeah, like what if you like. We went through a transporter cycle and one nipple is higher than the other nipple now. Uh-oh. <laughs> right? But, and, yeah, and also, too, not okay. if uh, you've got birthmarks moving around, I'm like, okay, well, flip side, could you do, like, light cosmetic surgery every time you go through? Like, hey, uh, transporter chief, when you put me down, like, I got the skin tag in my armpit. Could we, could that go away? Even though Hoshi gets the rest of the day off because Archer sees that she's not exactly on her A game. She wakes up at 
what, three hours late for a shift the next day. So a classic fear, right? Sleeping in late to your job. And so she does. She gets called to the bridge because there's an emergency. Uh, To Paul throughout the sequence is very dismissive of her in a fashion that is reminiscent of the, was it sleeping dogs era? Yes. And she comes to the bridge and she's expecting to be dressed down. Archer doesn't dress her down and she fails to communicate with the aliens that are supposed to be on the surface that have captured uh, Trip and Mayweather. And so she tries to communicate with them with the universal translator fails, tries to speak their language fails is told you're no longer necessary. You can leave. And some, it's not your fault. Yeah. It's a lot of patronizing from Archer, which jokes aside, I think does continue to cement their relationship being far more complex than you're just the best person. And I want you to have on this, have you on this. Like she, Archer is not mean to her at all over the course of this dream sequence. He is patronizing and intimate with her in a, in a way he's not with others, uh, but not negative. I think that it's Scott Bakula's performance specifically that really cemented me in this scene that this is a bullshit fantasy scene. Like, yeah, to Paul's overly harsh and it's uncharacteristic. And part of me was like, well, I would be able to look past this because I've been desensitized by seven years of Voyager where interpersonal relationships nine times out of 10 don't carry on into the next episode. So like to Paul just being a mean robot lady it doesn't really stand out as a showstopper, but it's just something about Bacula has a hard time selling fantasy scenes. If it is not the real go and it's a, it's a hallucination or some sort of trick or an alternate reality or whatever. Archer's performance always sticks out like a sore thumb. I also wonder if honestly, do you think that the audience maybe was intended to pick up very early that this is fake? I, I wonder if the purpose really was deception as I reflect on it. It seems so obvious that like, well, maybe that was the intention was that. Then what's the point of the fucking the hijackers then? Is like, Hosh- well, yeah, it's like, well, are the hijackers like there's something going alien on influencers like. Yeah, like what, let's let's say that we're going to do this where the audience is supposed to know immediately, which again, I didn't know what's going to happen here. And I immediately, as soon as she woke up and she was three hours late for a shift and no one had come and woke her up. Like if it was someone banging on her door, like, Hey, you're 15 minutes late for the shift and we've got a hostage situation. I could buy that three hours into a fucking shift. And now you got mm-hmm. to Paul busting your balls. That's stupid. The fact and- that she can't get anything right on the bridge that Archer, again, Scott Bakula's performance, like it, it's too much. And if you're going to go that direction and, and the the audience is supposed to know and you're going to reuse a TNG episode, make it the uh, the the crushers going crazy in the static warp bubble and people are disappearing until she's the only member on the crew. Right. G- go that way where she has to escape from this vanishing point. Hell, 
you could even go the route of they try to beam her out and then there are aliens down there and they have intercepted her and they have her in like a simulation. Sure. You know, because they've picked her Another off. Another good TNG pick, episode yeah. where Riker gets kidnapped by the uh, Romulans. Or is, she, he gets kidnapped by the kid who like creates the pretending whole. pretending to be Romulans. Right, pretending to be Romulans. Like you, you could do a story like that if you're going to, again, like you said, if you're ripping people off, rip them off, right? Mm-hmm. Where you, you use the same tropes and use the same things. But also don't have it just be, oh, that's just accidentally the hell we put everyone through. Oopsie daisies. Maybe we should change how quickly the pattern comes together so people don't have hell dreams. I mean, that's it. That's funny in a meme way, specifically for us, because, again, we were four years ago. We figured out the soul sucking device. Sure. But it, it's not as compelling as a complete story. So you could have had an episode was just a slice of life, low stakes. Let's sit around and talk about our feelings in this incredibly justifiable thing that is touches every single Star Trek property of all time. Uh, you could have had a really good mind fuck episode where am I going crazy? Basically a space madness. And, mm-hmm. and I think there's if there's a reason for a space madness episode, it's sorry, the fucking transporter wasn't calibrated right. And instead, they go with this under siege, goofy alien plot, which, you know, is not going to be real and it just feels silly. And and then they start moving into this like. What is it? Uh, Christmas story subplot where she gets to see everybody mourning or passing in this and that. But yeah, uh, like it and then it, it makes the hard pivot from interesting technological horror story ideas to let's do a character. Let's, let's have everyone impact their feelings about the most normal person on the ship. And it's going to be, Oh, we're sad that they're gone. And but we need to keep the crowd's attention. So let's put her in the most nineties sporty spite <laughs> outfit ever, where she's going to be spending the majority of the episode in jogging pants in a sports bra that shows her midriff just um, because th- this is exactly what happens. They wait until she's going to go quote work out. And now, you know, she's to- showing her toned stomach with her almost down her ass sweatpants and crop top and white sneakers. The exercise ball that they had tripping that spinny gyrosphere or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's like come back around. That's a thing people use again. My, I had a neighbor that lived on our street. He had one of those attached to a trailer and he would go to like the fair and stuff and you treat it like a ride for people to spin around. And yeah, now people own them on ironically, people like to hang upside down a lot for health reasons. Spinal I think spinal decompression. Yeah. Isn't it like a Joe Rogan thing? I guess oh, like you got people on that. Point? What isn't at this point? But uh, so you know, the, the plot in a nutshell there is that she doesn't feel like she's been put together right. Nobody believes her. She keeps having these concrete evidence moments where water is going through her in the shower. She can't push buttons, her hands going through stuff. But it's always like happens the second after someone turns their back or walks out of the room, which is also uh, a storytelling device, which is just fucking infuriating to watch. Like it happening. One time is is one thing it happening consistently throughout the entire episode. Uh, it, it's it's just a waste of the viewers time. I think we have the weird 
catalyst part of the plot, which is Hoshi imagining these aliens setting up bombs on the ship, which is supposed to be like the igniting incident for us to wrap this up. We got to do something where our focus character has agency in the plot, right? Like that's the idea. Okay. We need, we need to create agency in this weird construct we've created. And the agency is going to be, she's trying to foil a plot to blow up the ship. Okay. All right. I'm following. And so she's like using her in her intangibility to fuck with electricity. Okay. Following this is going to lead somewhere. We're going to finally figure out what's going on. And then she, uses a metaphorical transporter within the dream sequence to conclude her dream sequence. And that's the end. It just made it like where, well, okay. I feel like I missed like five steps. Like where, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. Like, okay. There's a bomb plot. Okay. She's fucking with it. Okay. This has got something to do with what's going on. And then, uh, she woke up. Really? Fucking really? That's that's where we're gonna go in the third act, and then Got focus it. on it. So so she she's completely phased out. The crew is like, oh my god, she's gone. We should have believed her. We all feel so bad. All the aforementioned stuff you talked about, where she gets to get a little mini uh, eulogy. She gets to her own funeral. Yeah, she gets to see people. They talk find about some her. goo on the deck that apparently used to be her. How sad there is a awful, awful conversation between uh, Archer and her dad. Yeah. Where her dad comes off as the worst dad we've seen since Magnus. Uh, what the hell is Seven and Nine's dad? Oh, um, Magnus Hansen. I was going to say uh, way worse is definitely um, Echeb's. <laughs> no, Echeb's dad. Echeb's no, dad was going to... Echeb's dad cared, though. I mean, like... Oh, that's right. It's Echeb's mom that was trying to give him back And to even the, the mom gets a fucking hall pass because they're trying to topple the Borg. Okay. Fair. Okay. It's worth like, the death of one person. There's a lot of shitty things out there, and, and sending your kid to die is pretty fucking high up the chain, but if you're going to condemn yourself to hell, uh, paving the way down there by eradicating the Borg... It's going to buy you some points back. I mean, sure. I'm, I'm going to be real. <laughs> sure. But Magnus, uh, whatever fucking seven, Ugg, yes, R.I.P. Ugg. Unironically R.I.P. Did that actor pass away? Yeah, he did. Like a couple months after we had our big revelation that it was him. <laughs> oh, shit. It was after the Salute Your Shorts, like COVID reunion that they had in a fucking like five guys or something. Some real sad impromptu convention space. Oof. Yeah, not the best way to go out. No, uh, no I mean, it's, it's but reliving past glories, and then there's that. Archer's like, we, your your daughter's dead, and he's like, well, this is unfortunate. Can you call back when her mom gets home from work? I'm like, what is this saying about her thoughts on her dad? Like, this is its own fucking terrible thing over there. Uh, but yeah, so so then she starts hearing voices. There's aliens, apparently, that they knew there were no fucking aliens on the surface. There's aliens who have gotten onto the ship and are now trying to blow it up. She's able to, like you said, like use uh, Patrick Swayze ghost powers. Yeah. uh, Taught to her by the guy who had selling the Echo Papa killer drones from Arsenal of Freedom. (laughs) (laughs) See, I connected it. Uh, (laughs) What's his name? Vincent something. And 
also another infuriating moment was when she's sitting there tapping out SOS on the fucking steam pipe in Archer's office and him and to Paul both see it. And they're like, huh, well, we'll look into this later. It's just, again, infuriating. Very mm-hmm. clearly, like, ghost race powers are being used here. Anyway, she can influence technology. Instead of trying to basically give him science since that she's still alive, she goes on this uh, plan to foil the, the bombing mission. Yeah, that in the end just culminates with her jumping on a teleporter pad because, and that's all she needed to, like, yeah, they uh, just didn't finish their to, thought. Click to end level. Yeah, they didn't finish their thought. It feels like Berman just got like they're burnt out. I mean, here it is. We're we're a full circle, right? Where'd we start this discussion? Boy, the burnout of these writers is becoming even more and more apparent. And here is a perfect spot where a writer cashes it in. I'm trying to end this plot, right? I've got way more than I need to shoot this thing. I need to get this thing over with. I need to get move on to the next fucking script. There could have been like, okay, well, she's basically been in this purgatory and there has to be a moment of personal growth where she is willing to sacrifice her own potential continued existence uh, and instead guarantee the safety of the ship with her limited time left in this incorporeal form. And that's what they try to touch on uh, because she jumps off the transporter pad. Turns out she's still in her uniform that she's coming back from these alien rooms. She goes to run off. I got to stop the bombs. And Tucker's like, what are you talking about? And she's like, there's a bomb plot and this and that. And they're like, no, it was all a dream. And she's like, oh, my God, really? And they're like, LOL. Yes. Go ahead and take a go take a rest. Archer comes up and is like, oh, hey, I heard you were stuck in space hell for like two days. But you know what I heard here is that, you, you you know, in the end, you tried to sacrifice yourself for the ship. And that's the important thing to take away from all of this. And it's kind of like we're, this, this. There was no runway earlier in the episode with her having like self-doubt or some sort of selfish thing she did or just anything to no. warrant like this needs to be a a self-sacrifice episode. Right. Nope. We we got no context for her struggle except what we already know about her, which I will say that's all the episode does, right? It doesn't introduce some wild new Hoshi concept. It's just that what's already out there is boring or too normal to be interesting in this format. And combine that with just meandering into your climax and not really knowing how to finish and just saying good enough and closing the book leaves you feeling very unsatisfied despite really an a tier level concept of transporter technologies in its infancy. And you have an unexpected, but minor technical variance that results in a horrific consequence. Let and me you have to deal with that. Or even your original idea of just people being anxious about technology. Again, if we're going to go with the space horror, this is November. Move this up earlier. Make this your Halloween episode. Take my first plot point, which is uh, they're trying to run to the shuttlecraft and she trips over herself and falls down a hole and has to be beamed out instead. Right. She gets beamed up. She starts hearing shit that's not here. 
seeing things that's not there. Maybe she's seeing these fucking alien saboteurs that have come up after all. Nobody else is seeing them. She thinks that uh, maybe something about the transporter uh, changed the wavelength she can see. She's got people chasing. Go full space whore where she's seeing monsters and things going bump in the night and blah, blah, blah. And then we find out that finally after enough scans, yeah, the transporter did put her off wrong. She's 0.006 off on the phase variance. The only way to fix her is she has to go back through the transporter. She's scared stupid. Hoshi, if you don't go through the transporter, you're going to die. And that's the realization she has to make it in the end is like overcome her fear of this transporter that she was only dragged through because it was certain death awaited her. But this time she's going through it on her own terms and she she conquers her fear and she comes back and oh boy, that was awful. You know, but, uh, you know, I grew at and, and they're like, oh, cool. We've got a new um, human transporter protocol like this wasn't a bad episode. No. Yeah. I guess it's worth pointing out is like in, in the morass of actual shit we've had to go through. This gave me a lot to think about for our show because of, of what was going on. It was an, it was much more engaging than I think I've, I have not been as engaged in this show over the last five weeks than I was this week. That's the best phrase I can give it. They took top shelf sci-fi fringe. Mm -hmm. And instead of giving, I think I've, you and I've come up with, at least three compelling other stories they could have told with this. They go with this bullshit under siege subplot. And again, it's the worst fucking way to handle it. And it's, it's a miss. This is the only time you could tell this episode, the story of how do I feel about potentially dying and being reanimated? Right. And instead of giving me something compelling or something scary or something cool, I mean, congratulations there there's a there's a transporter accident that did not result with her shirt getting knocked off <laughs> I, I they only give you... they only mildly sexually exploited linda park yeah <laughs> they just, barely anything just, at all just 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 put a toe in just enough to, so you know that they still want to but they're they're restraining themselves this time there's no there's no lube there's no blue underwear you know i've Look, we can be adults. So it's sad and there's a billion million. I don't know. There's hundreds of ways they could have just really knocked this fucking thing out of the park. They didn't. What else? Uh, luckily, season two has so many other bad episodes that I can't really resent this one because I, I know that it could always be much worse. And I'm just happy the beating. Not even the beating. I'm, I'm just happy we, we got off this light. What is our episode? For next week, sir. We're going to go into season two, episode 11, Precious Cargo. I see what looks like a... uh, Oh, God. Cryo chamber with someone pretty inside. After Enterprise rescues a pair of aliens with a mysterious cargo, Trip finds himself in a major predicament after he accidentally opens the cargo. Are they going to introduce a new antagonistic species that would make the fucking, oh God, what are the Klingassians called? The Vaudoir pale in comparison? No, Since last time we got this, this plot set up. You, you, will, you will unfortunately be subject to someone who had to find out the hard way that they're not an actor. Mayweather's in this one. <laughs> oh, how'd you know? <laughs> well, thank you for joining us in Future Please. We look forward to listening again next week. <laughs> <laughs>